Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Bankery Christian Fellowship. Really delighted that you've come to join with us today. Um, if there's any of you watching at home as well, a warm welcome to you, and especially a warm welcome if uh, this is your first time here. Uh, my name is Duncan. Um, I have the privilege of serving as pastor here, and uh, we have tea and coffee served after the service, so please do stay after that. We would love to spend time with you to get to know you, and it's a time for all of us to share uh, together. But we come here to worship God. So let's take some time to hear from God, to hear about just who it is that we gather to worship. This is, these words are taken from Psalm 145. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and His mercy is over all that He has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. This is an awesome description of God, the maker of everything, but the good, kind, merciful, gracious maker of everything, and how good it is for us to know that our God is gracious and compassionate, that He is slow to anger. Good morning, everyone. The reading this morning is from Acts chapter 2, verses 22, the fellowship of the believers Excuse me. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so I wonder, Carl, could we just keep that up? It's very rare that we have our Bible reading fits into one slide, so let's, let's keep that up on the wall. You can test everything I say by, by the words of the text. This part of the Bible uh, tells us the story of the early church. Um, if you were here two weeks ago, uh, we saw the events in the first part of Acts chapter 2 that they were monumental. The Holy Spirit came upon the followers of Jesus it caused a crowd, uh, that caused a crowd to gather round, and Peter then stepped forward to tell the crowd what was going on. 
And we saw that his message to them had one big theme. It was all about Jesus. That's all he wanted to get across to them. He wanted to prove to them that Jesus was God, that he was the one whom God sent to rescue them from their sins. And a great many of them responded by literally changing their mind about Jesus. Instead of rejecting him, they believed in him with the promise that they too would receive the presence of God by his Holy Spirit. And in verse 41, where we finished last time, Luke, who writes this book of Acts, he told us that on that day, 3,000 were added to the number of the church. Now, most Bibles, um, as Margaret showed us, have a, have a heading inserted before verse 42. Um, the one in my Bible says, the fellowship of the believers. You may have something similar. But it's important to remember that those headings are not actually part of the original text of Scripture. They've been put in there by the publisher just to, just to help us digest these portions, these, these sections of Scripture. And one of the downsides of those is that they can sometimes make us think that the text is disjointed, like somehow you stop at verse 41, you go off and have a cup of tea, and then you can come back and read verse 42. But it's not like that. Verse 41 runs right into verse 42 without really taking a breath. And the connection between them is vital if we're going to appreciate the value of these verses that we've read this morning. These 3,000 people, they trust in Jesus. And as Peter has promised them, they receive the Holy Spirit of God. And they now belong, or maybe even I could say they now become the community of God's people. They have become part of the church. But what did this community look like? What qualities did they possess? What priorities did they have? What sort of character were these people formed into by the presence of the Holy Spirit within them? What kind of church was produced? What kind of church? Well, I want you to first of all note the word devoted in verse 42. Devoted. They devoted themselves. They persevered in. They continued without giving up to do and then Luke tells us some distinctive things. That's the kind of language that's used here. They stuck at this. Whatever their new life as followers of Jesus Christ was, it was not superficial. It was not a hobby for them. It was not something that they got round to doing if they could be bothered. No, they devoted themselves. And it seems that verse 42 is a, is a summary, if you like. It's, it's Luke's way of, of giving us an overview of what this church looked like. And he then elaborates on some of those qualities in verses 43 to the end of the chapter. And so I want you to see that there are four, we're going to take note of four specific things mentioned in this section. Um, Luke specifically puts his finger on four things in verse 42, and he's quite deliberate in how he writes this. Uh, literally, it is, um, just as you see it up there, actually, they devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine or the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, 
to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. So let's consider what the church was devoted to. And I'm not actually going to just take those four there, and you'll see what I mean as we go on. First of all, this church, they were devoted to knowing Jesus better. That's what they devoted themselves to, to knowing Jesus better. I mean, what a blessing for them to have the apostles in their midst, these spokesmen for Jesus. But they had more than just a title. They had the training. We saw in chapter 1 that the most basic qualification for being an apostle was that you had to have been with Jesus right from the time of John the Baptist right through to his death, his resurrection, and his ascension into heaven. I mean, that's a three-year training program. Why was it essential that they had that background? Well, because that's what they were there to talk about. That's what their message was. That's what they were being sent to speak about, about Jesus, about His life, His death, His resurrection, His ascension. And so they had to have been firsthand witnesses of these things. And what a privilege for these early believers to have these men right there leading this church. This message that they proclaim is all about Jesus. In Peter's message earlier in the chapter, if you look at verse 22 of Acts 2, he told the crowd that Jesus of Nazareth was demonstrated to be from God by the works, the wonders, and the signs that God did through him. These miraculous signs were there to confirm the reliability of Jesus' words, to confirm that He really is who He says He is, the Son of God the Father, the promised Savior. And if you see, you see in verse 43 of our chapter that those same sorts of words appear. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And there's no explanation given to us So we are surely to take it that these signs, these wonders, are serving the same purpose of the signs and wonders that we read of earlier in the chapter. So what were they doing? They were confirming that these 12 men, these apostles, they really were delivering God's message. These are God's men, and these signs were there to confirm it. And we're going to see next week a specific example of that and how God uses that sign to lead into an opportunity for the gospel. It's important to be clear, the apostles' teaching um, wasn't something that they put together themselves. Like, they didn't um, sit down together and say, well, we're going we're to be part of a pretty big church, and we really should have a, a curriculum in place. Let's, let's, let's work together on what we think that should be. This isn't something they came up with off the top of their heads. It wasn't their bright ideas These men were carrying the message that Jesus had entrusted to them. They were testifying to Jesus. They were were following His example. If you were to read at the end of Luke's gospel, you find there are these two disciples uh, deeply discouraged after the death of Jesus. They're walking on the road to Emmaus, and Jesus comes alongside them, and they, they don't realize that's who it is, and He starts to teach them. And he teaches them from uh, the prophets. Um, In fact, let me read the verse for you, Luke 24, 27. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He taught them about himself. 
And he said, here is how all of the Bible points to this coming Messiah, to this Jesus of Nazareth, that you're so discouraged about him dying. The apostles taught these on the day of, on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, these Jewish converts, all about how Jesus was not some new part of God's plan, but was the continuation and the fulfillment of what God has been doing ever since sin came into the world. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God promised that a descendant of the woman would come who would crush the head of the serpent. The apostles were here to say, he has come. The serpent's head has been crushed. When Abraham was promised that one of his offspring would bless all the nations of the earth, well, here the apostles are here to say, that promised offspring has come and has already brought forgiveness to a crowd of 3,000 who have come from all points on the compass. And there's something right about this. All their lives, these Jews who have been converted, who have believed in Jesus, they have been told that God will send a Messiah, a rescuer, and now He has come, and they have believed in Him. And so, what do they devote their lives to doing? To knowing Him better. Tell us more about the Messiah who has come. Tell us more about Jesus. You can just see this pattern in the early church. They wanted to know more about Him. They couldn't get enough of Him. And what a resource to have at their disposal. They have the apostles to speak to them about the Savior. He is their only hope. He is the, the great hope of their ancestors. And so, they devote themselves to knowing Jesus better. The apostles kept teaching about how the Son of God came down from heaven, how He was conceived in the womb of a virgin, was born a baby, grew up as a child into an adolescent, into a man, lived a perfect life of obedience to God, and did that as a representative for human beings. He died on the cross bearing God's judgment against sin. And He did that as a substitute for sinful human beings, taking our sin on Himself. They taught that He rose from the dead, showing that He really did accomplish all that He said He would do in His death on the cross, and showing us that He has conquered even death itself. And because everyone who believes in Him is joined to Jesus forever, then His victory over death is your victory over death as well. And there was so much more the apostles would teach, isn't there? But this was their message. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit who gives us new life, who makes us into a new people, who day by day transforms us more into the likeness of this Jesus. Jesus taught that He's coming back. Jesus taught that one day He will judge the world. All of this they passed on to these first believers. Now, maybe there's some here. There's no point waiting to do this. Maybe there's some here who have never yet changed their mind about Jesus. Maybe still thinking that He may be an interesting relic of history, but He doesn't have much relevance to me. 
the great message that was passed on to these apostles that has been preserved for us. I mean, we still de devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching. That's what's been preserved for us in the Word of God. We're not looking for some novel teaching. We want to go back. Some people would say, oh, we want the church to go back 50 years, or maybe here we want to go back 15 years. I don't know. We want to go back 2,000 years, friends, where they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. And maybe you're still here, never yet believed in Jesus Christ, never turned from following yourself to following Him, never yet become part of the people of God. Well, it's time to do that. Oh, you could blend in here, but you won't blend in as you stand before God. You need to believe in Jesus, pure and simple as that. You stand before God. Every one of us, we stand before God deserving His rejection. We've turned away from Him, suited ourselves. But here's the good news the apostles brought. God is not here offering you judgment today. He's offering you the welcoming arms of His Son, Jesus Christ, who has done everything needed for you to find forgiveness before God and to know God. Isn't that wonderful? And the Holy Spirit, who is given to every believer in Jesus, He produces this, a devotion to know Jesus better. That's why we do not apologize for making the Bible central to what we do in this church. And if you think we cease to do that at any point, you must, I beg you, speak up. Because this is where God speaks to us. It's as we open this book, God speaks. This is where we will know Jesus better. This is where God speaks to us about His Son. This is where we learn what the gospel is. This is where we learn what Jesus is like, how much He loves us, how scandalous His forgiveness is, how ready He is to receive us when we mess up, and how glorious our future is in Him. And this is where He provides us everything that we could ever need to know God and to honor God with our lives. And it's as we devote ourselves to hearing God and His Word that we devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching. This is an apostolic church. You might never have heard it called that before, but that's what we are. We're an apostolic church because we seek to go back to the apostles' teaching to proclaim the apostolic message about Jesus. And it's vital for any church's health. We are a group of Christians devoted to knowing Jesus better. And we do that even now as we come together to God's Word. So there's some other things we need to notice. And the other things that the church are devoted to necessarily follow on. If you're devoted to knowing Jesus better, then these other things they're devoted to will inevitably flow from that. Notice with me that also the church was devoted to worship. The church was devoted to worship. And what else? What else could you be devoted to? If you're learning and hearing and knowing Jesus more and more, you're going to worship. They had to worship. They devoted themselves, says Luke here, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. And I take it from that slightly formal way that Luke writes 
um, the breaking of bread, that he's saying more than that they, they simply devoted themselves to having meals. I think he's saying more than that here. More likely, as he's saying, they devoted themselves to remembering the Lord Jesus in sharing together the Lord's Supper. Communion, if you prefer. And it takes us back to the upper room, the night before Jesus died, when Jesus gave his disciples a way for them to together remember him. They were to take bread, break it between them, and eat it to remember his body given for them. They were to take a cup of wine and share it together to remind them of his blood shed for them for the remission of sins. And again, when all of their hopes in this life and beyond this life are pinned on what Jesus has done on your behalf, then you want to be reminded. You want to worship Jesus in the way that he's provided for us. There is some evidence that the, the, the early church shared in the Lord's Supper as part of a meal. And that maybe um, helps us with some of the ambiguity in the language, particularly when you come down to verse 46 and that phrase is used again. They were breaking bread together in their homes. I say that phrase is used again. It's actually a slightly different phrase. Um, breaking bread in their homes, receiving their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God. I mean, there's, there's uh, more than 3,000 of them. There's no one place that they can gather, and so they meet in each other's homes. They share meals together, and in doing so, they also observe the Lord's Supper. They remember the Lord Jesus. They worship Him. They're filled with gratitude to the Lord, and that sense of, of worship and adoration that they had for Him was only deepened as they remembered Jesus' sacrifice together in this way. And indeed, we're going to do that later in this service. It's worship. This is no mere religious observance. This is not us earning something before God by doing some religious duty. This is worship. Together, we're reminded of what Jesus has done for us and what it means to be part of the people of God, what it means to belong to Him. Oh, it's worship. And what a delight it will be to worship Him in this way very soon. But also they were devoted to the prayers. And it seems that uh, what Luke mentions in verse 46, that day by day they were attending the temple, was in part, at least, they're attending the temple for prayer. In fact, if you look at verse 1 of the next chapter, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. Well, I take it they were going there to pray at the hour of prayer. It's a remarkable scene, this, assuming that the bulk of those 3,000 converts stuck around Jerusalem, they go to the biggest venue they can find, and they pray. They pray in a way that they have never prayed before. They had attended prayers at the temple, but they'd never prayed like this before, because here they come to God in the name of Jesus Christ, their Savior. They don't need to go and ask the resident priest to do something for them now. They come and they pray to the great high priest in heaven, Jesus Christ, seated on his throne at the right hand of God, and they have access into the presence of God. In this Christian way of praying, there is this guarantee that you are heard in heaven. 
because the Christian is joined to Jesus Christ who sits there interceding for them. And so to come before God in prayer, it is, um, it's to present yourself before God, isn't it? We are consciously coming into the presence of God. And the starting point for any of us when we pray, maybe we don't realize this at times, but the starting point is to enter into God's presence and say, God, you are God, and I am a sinful creature of yours. Just even the very thought of what prayer is, is a humbling thing. It's why people speak of going on their knees to pray, because that actually is a physical representation of what we are doing spiritually when we pray. We're saying, God, you are God, and I am not. I am one of your creatures. I owe you everything. I need to trust in you for everything. We humble ourselves before the Lord in prayer. Prayer is not just where we ask God to take sore things away. It's where we speak to Him. It's where we worship Him. It's where we pour out our hearts to Him. It's where we express what little we've come to understand about His greatness and also our weakness and ask Him to use weak old me to do something for His honor. This community of God's people, they were devoted to knowing Jesus better. They were devoted to worship. And surely you can't have missed this one. They were devoted to one another, weren't they? They were devoted to one another. Luke summarizes it at first by saying they devoted themselves to the fellowship. And in the Bible, the word fellowship means a whole lot more than drinking coffee together. It speaks actually not so much about what they do, but about what they are. It means that literally, the word is literally, they share a common life. What a beautiful concept that is. They share a common life. That's what fellowship is. That's deeper than how we typically use the word fellowship, isn't it? They are joined together as one family. They belong to one another. They have a vested interest in the welfare of each other. And that's what Luke specifically tells us was lived out in this community of this new church in Acts 2. Look at this in verse 44. What did this devotion to one another look like? Well, they were together. They had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Wow. Wow. They really had a depth of appreciation of what sort of community they had been brought into. You don't do this for guys at the golf club. I'm telling you now, you don't do this for guys at the golf club, but it's only in the church that you start to see this kind of radical care towards one another. One where, a community where every member matters. You see, Christians have fellowship, first of all, with God. So just think about that, 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 that language I used earlier, a shared life in common with God. 
And through that immense privilege, we have fellowship with one another. One of the images that the Bible uses to explain this is the image of a body. Jesus is the head, and all the members of the body are attached to the head. I mean, they have to be or they're going to die. But necessarily, all of the members of the body are then attached to one another, and they need each other. In fact, for the body to function at its best, every part of that body needs to be in good health. To harm another member of the body is to harm ourselves. We are all connected to one another. And when we understand fellowship in those sorts of terms, that's when we can start using the sort of phraseology that the Apostle Paul uses. He describes the fellowship of believers like this. He says, if one member suffers, we all suffer. If one member rejoices, we all rejoice. This is the sort of community the Holy Spirit produces in the church of Jesus Christ. That's what this portion of Acts tells us. And again, let's not separate this passage from what comes earlier in the chapter. Back in verses, uh, from verse 5 to 11, you've got that list of difficult names where Luke was at pains to tell us that the people who heard and responded to Peter's message were Jews from all over the known world. You open up your atlas and you see Egypt and Crete and Rome and Turkey, Iran, Asia, Arabia. They'd come from all of those places. Now, they were visitors to Jerusalem. They'd come for the Feast of Pentecost. They were just visiting. But this encounter with Jesus Christ presumably meant that the bulk of them stayed on for longer. And perhaps this is why such desperate needs arose amongst the people. Their their means of support was back home, and they were staying on in Jerusalem. And so how did they care for them? Well, those who had used what they had to meet the needs of those who had not. And we're going to see as we go through this book, particularly into chapter 4, chapter 5, there was no obligation placed on people. This wasn't some early form of communism, even though we might be tempted to read it in that way. It was entirely voluntary. That as people saw needs, they said, I can meet that need. And you know yourself, when you get people to part with their personal property, then you really have made progress with them. And that's what the Holy Spirit does here. These things are just tools to serve the community of God's people, because ultimately that's how we serve the Lord. This required for this church some difficult barriers to be overcome. I mean, just think, they've come from all over the world, these people. There's some ethnic barriers are going to have to be overcome here. Some cultural barriers are going to have to be overcome here. Luke tells us that some of the the Jews who came and were converted, some of them were born Jews and some of them were converted Jews in that they didn't come from a Jewish stock. So we already have some, some, some differences that are going to have to be overcome. There's no sense that there's any second class citizens in this church. They were devoted to one another whatever their secondary differences might be, they can overcome that. Because you know what? We belong to the same Jesus. What a refreshing message that is to hear today, isn't it? Where division, division is the definition of our society. 
We're divided on almost everything in our society today. And so what goes on in this community that meets here needs to be very different because the Holy Spirit does not produce a people who are divided. He produces a people who are devoted to one another because they are first and foremost devoted to Jesus Christ. Is that the kind of church you belong to? Is it the kind of church you even want to belong to? One where even the people who annoy you the most are precious to you because they're precious to the Lord. This is such a valuable portion of Scripture for us because so often we can reduce down our concept of church as Sunday service. And it is an important part of church, don't get me wrong. This is the church being the church, gathering like this, doing what we're doing today. This is the church being the church. But we easily forget that the church is the people. If you belong to a church, you belong to a family, a spiritual family. You have fellowship. You share a common life together with them in Christ. You belong to one another. Now, this has been over the last 18 months, and there's no way we could have avoided this, I suppose. It has been undermined by so-called online church. Because actually, if church is just a Sunday service, then I can watch that at home in my pajamas, and this can still be my church. But the church is the people. It is a community venture that we engage in here. Indeed, this is one of the things that we declare when we become a member of the local church. We are saying, this is my family. This is my family, and I'm committed to you, my family, and I want you, my family, to be committed to me. At least that's what I was thinking when I became a member of the church, and I hope for everyone that they see that it's making that commitment. This is my family. I want you to be committed to me as I'm committed to you so that together we might be truly the people of God. And yet it's common for there to be what I'm calling today membership hesitancy in the church today. There's no hint of that in these verses. In fact, Luke tells us at the very end of the chapter that day by day more were added to their number. More were added to their number day by day. They knew who was part of their community and they knew who wasn't. They were devoted to one another. Well, that leads me to my final points. They were devoted to knowing Jesus better. They were devoted to worship. They were devoted to one another. And you know what? They were devoted to telling others about Jesus. They were devoted to telling others about Jesus. Now, Luke doesn't use that terminology in his summary statement in verse 42, but he does get it across to us especially in the final two verses of this chapter, 46 and 47. I want you to notice that repeated phrase. Notice how verse 46 opens, day by day attending the temple. And you notice how verse 47 ends, the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. You see, before the Holy Spirit had come and empowered the disciples, 
What were their instincts? They were to hide away. They shut themselves in. They didn't want to be seen by people outside of their own circle. And in fact, before they knew of Jesus' resurrection, we read of them being shut inside with the door bolted. That was their instinct. But the Holy Spirit comes and changes that perspective. He turns God's people outwards. And that is seen in their gathering day by day in the temple. The temple was the center of Jewish worship, but it was also the center of Jewish life, Jewish culture, Jewish identity, all wrapped up in this place. These early Christians were in their community. They were not hidden away somewhere. Their devotion to Jesus was on display in their community, not just in the upper room where no one was looking. Outsiders saw their generosity, their joy. And it was through that that outsiders became insiders as they joined this community of faith. And in Luke telling us that, but that day by day the Lord added to their number, it tells us at least two things. I mean, first of all, this wasn't just people choosing to join a club. This was God moving to bring them to the same point as the 3,000 earlier had come to, bringing them to change their mind about Jesus, to follow Him, to be baptized. But also, it tells us that it was because of their day-by-day living out the Christian faith in their local community that day by day God brought people to faith in Jesus through them. This is the ongoing pattern of how the church grows, not by Christians hiding themselves away, not by becoming so busy with church activities that we never meet anyone who is not a Christian, but day by day being out there as a devoted follower of Jesus. Now, many, probably most of us, are already out there. We live, we work, we get educated in our secular community. What does it mean to be devoted to Jesus there? What can we engage with in our local community that can allow us to serve others as a devoted follower of Jesus? How can I bring someone into contact with this gospel community, my church family, so they can see what Jesus Christ does through His people? We live in a consumerist culture, and sad to say that applies to church as well. Churches choose to emphasize certain things, and therefore you can go shopping for the church that suits you just right. So you may want a church that emphasizes social action, or the Word, or the Holy Spirit, or the music, or having a warm welcome, or being inclusive for all. Or maybe they emphasize environmental issues, whatever. Whatever your preferences, there is a church out there somewhere for you. I suppose my closing question to you is, what kind of church do you want? More crucial is to ask, what kind of church does the Holy Spirit produce through the work of Jesus Christ in the lives of His people? I put it to you that this is what we look for, a church family that is devoted to knowing Jesus better, devoted to worship, devoted to one another, devoted to telling others about Jesus. 
and then to say to the Lord, do that here, Lord. Do that in me, Lord. May this church be about your desires for us more than about my preferences and tastes. Because as the people of God live as a true gospel community, Luke would have us see here, it's there the Lord is at work.